Hello, hello, my name is Rainer and welcome to Nordic Sustainability Investigator. In this podcast, I'm interviewing sustainability managers from successful businesses in the Nordics to learn from them how to create more sustainable organizations. Jungle Juice Bar is one of the biggest retail cafe chains in Finland and currently has four bars in Sweden. They serve fresh smoothies with no added sugar and no additives. Elli Holappa is the CEO of Jungle Juice Bar and today we discuss their different approach to carbon compensation and other initiatives that make them more sustainable. Hi Elli and thank you so much for joining me today. Hello and big thanks for the invitation. Great to be here. Yeah. And let's uh, start with uh, the company you work at. Uh, So what kind of company is Jungle Juice Bar and uh, how did you end up there? Well, that's a very good question. Well, like you said, uh, we are the largest smoothie chain in Finland. We operate 51 bars from Helsinki to Rovaniemi in Finland. And then we have four bars in, in Sweden, in Stockholm region. Uh, I think that what differentiates us uh, is actually the product. So everything is 100% fresh, handmade, so, so kind of order-based. No sugar, no additives. And, and the company mission and purpose from the beginning has been to kind of promote healthier lifestyle. We believe strongly that it is the small choices which matter. And, and through these small choices, you can do good, not only for your health, but also for the planet. So from the very beginning, we've been quite kind of boldly uh, the spokesperson also for vegan and plant-based food, as all the smoothies really can be made also vegan. I ended up uh, to the company uh, a bit less than three years ago. Uh, I've been working a long time in a pet retail, so coming, I'm coming from a completely different industry. Uh, but I think that the kind of the connecting factor is our chairman of the board, who used to be my previous line manager in a pet retail company called Musti. Uh, Musti Group is, is the kind of leading pet retail player in the Nordics, operating in Finland, Sweden and Norway. And, and that was kind of my path to the world of smoothies. Very good. And uh, since the main topic uh, of today's podcast is sustainability, then I would like to hear how do you define uh, sustainability for yourself? I think that it, it starts from really small things. If, if everybody would think that my accent don't count or my accent don't matter, I, I think that that, that Personally, for me, that is that would be the kind of the wrong way. So uh, I personally believe that even as a sm- kind of one small individual, uh, my choices make an impact, and and it really starts from small things, and it is all about caring, you know. Uh, doing recycling at home, teaching to my children that you really need to recycle plastics and glass and metal and batteries. Because that's all about caring. It takes a bit of extra effort, but I think that the extra effort is probably what for me defines the sustainability. You're willing to take the small extra effort. You believe that individual actions do matter. And then if 
we can just get a lot of people on board to think alike, I think that that's the, the kind of the magic of making things different. Yeah, I like the idea of a small extra effort. I read that in the early days, the dream of Jungle Juice Bar was to create Europe's biggest smoothie chain. Uh, is this uh, still the case or has uh, something about this goal changed over time? I think that the kind of the, the fu fu fundamentals are still there. Uh, our strategy is to kind of drive international business. And that was the kind of the purpose of the founders as well when they established company uh, 11 years ago. If you look at our logo and, and the kind of the concept itself, it really doesn't state that this is a 100% Finnish company. It is already actually quite international. So I, I think that the kind of the seed is there. What has changed is, is probably uh, the fact that today we believe that more important than the big size is actually that, that, that we can kind of exceed customers' experiences. So maybe I would reform that, that we would want to be Europe's most loved smoothie <laughs> chain, if maybe also most responsible smoothie chain. Can you describe a bit how your one smoothie bar looks like for listeners who haven't uh, seen it themselves? Let me try. So the purpose of, of the concept was to kind of create this feeling of oasis. Our, our smoothie bars are kind of most commonly located in shopping centers. And, and what we try to kind of provide and, and create is this kind of very colorful jungle feeling where when entering to the bar there's a feeling that you're entering into this kind of oasis and, and you can just refresh and feel the kind of the the energy coming from the fresh fruits uh, going into your body so a bit of a piece of a jungle in this very urban uh, kind of uh, location considering uh, shopping centers mainly and uh, what are your some main uh, products or main smoothies that you make to have uh, some that are most popular? Absolutely. Uh, the most popular and probably also the most loved one is called Pink Panther. Uh, that is the most sold smoothie with pineapple and strawberry. Uh, then another very kind of popular and famous smoothie is one of our protein smoothies enhanced with wee protein that is called Flamingo. So I would probably lift those two. Uh, and then the third one would be a killer bee, which is this tropical <laughs> smoothie. And that is actually the first recipe created for the company 11 years ago. And still in the menu. Yeah, <laughs> very interesting. Uh, yeah, let's jump into the questions about emissions. So let's you have, do that. Yeah, so you have calculated emissions of your products with the help of uh, Natural Resource Institute in Finland. Uh, was there anything surprising in the results and how did that cooperation look like? Yes, uh, it was very clear for us that we wanted to compensate our carbon footprint. And of course, to be able to do that, you first need to know what your carbon footprint is. Uh, we did the project together with the Natural Resource Institute. And, and we did kind of the, the scopes one and, and two. Uh, it was a, I think the first surprise was that how massive the project itself really was. 
uh, it really required also quite a lot of homework from our side. So it was not only the, the Finnish natural resource uh, guys and, 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 and well, ladies and gentlemen who would do the work that it actually required quite a lot of investigation from at our end as, as well. Uh, all in all, it took a bit uh, more than half a year to kind of finalize the calculation. Most difficult ones uh, kind of from data perspective was to collect all the waste amounts, which definitely was included. Uh, some packaging material uh, data collection was also quite challenging, but but kind of luckily we managed to get all the data together and, and the, the calculation is actually very reli reliable at the moment. Most surprising, uh, on top of how time-consuming and how big project it eventually was, was probably bananas. Uh, at least personally, I somehow had the feeling or or kind of a prerequisite that bananas must have quite a high carbon footprint. I mean, they're coming from this long distance, and 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 you know that that probably has an impact to the, the CO2 emissions. However, it turned out that actually banana car bananas' carbon footprint was much lower than some other uh, raw materials which were included in the study. Mm -hmm. And uh, what were the um, highest uh, emissions uh, products uh, from the study? Well, avocado definitely comes out uh, in, in that one. So that, that is one raw material where, which use we uh, kind of tend to limit. We don't want to cut it completely out because it has a very good nutritional profile. Uh, but it is, of course, very uh, easy. Uh, there's a lot of waste coming from that. So that is definitely one. Uh, but then also kind of uh, frozen berries, which requires kind of quite long, kind of large farming areas and requires quite a lot of uh, watering uh, when, when, when kind of growing the, 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 the berries like strawberries. So that definitely uh, was one. Yeah, and the banana aspect is very interesting. Uh, I also read about it sometime that uh, actually they ship them with very big containers with very big ships that come, you know, long time uh, to Europe. But since the amounts that they bring are so big uh, and they don't use any like airplanes for that, then uh, thanks to that, uh, the emissions are quite low. Exactly, and on top of the sea kind of freight, what, what is kind of definitely more more sustainable uh, kind of logistics way of, of getting the bananas to Finland, then also the fact that they're actually quite efficient. Uh, they're making a kind of a quite big harvest from one banana tree. So this kind of a bunch of bananas, it's very efficient plant actually from the mm. harvest perspective. And after you received the results, uh, did you take any specific uh, actions in the, in your uh, operations? Uh, absolutely. Uh, probably two larger things to mention. Uh, we've already moved to 100% kind of uh, reusable electricity. So that was already kind of ticked to the box. There were some locations which it, it has not been possible to do. So our target is to kind of be 100% using green electricity by the end of 2022. Uh, but two concrete things which came out from that was to try to think how we could possibly, is there a more sustainable packaging for our product? Uh, that is a clear kind of very concrete action. 
today we are using PLA plastics, which is biodegradable plastics, but, but still it do represent certain amounts from the carbon footprint. So of course, trying to find more sustainable packaging materials is, is one, but very difficult. Because there isn't at the moment in the market, there isn't too many different alternatives. Now we're kind of puzzling this between should it be 100% recycled plastic or, or should it be this biodegradable plastic. So that's still ongoing, but hopefully soon we're able to communicate some new changes. Then the second one was, of course, then the food waste. Uh, I think that we're talking way too little about the waste impact to the carbon footprint. Uh, we tend to talk a lot about plastics, but I think that we should put much, much more focus on the food, food waste. And we've already started the collaboration uh, with this uh, kind of an application called Rescue, which is an application which provides a platform for restaurants to sell with the discount their kind of wasted portions, food portions. Uh, we started the pilot already in 2019, but after the study, uh, we really kind of made it possible to use in all our bars. And uh, well, over a year, we reduced our uh, food waste through that sample, th through that platform by 62%. So that is already oh, showing very, 62. very good results. Yes. And what kind of uh, products do you sell on that uh, platform? We sell the smoothies. So we uh, sell smoothies from our bars, either order-based. So customer comes in and orders one specific smoothie and maybe want to change certain raw materials and we can tailor the product to the customer needs. And we also make smoothies ready for our, for our vitrine. Uh, but the, the life cycle of a smoothie in a vitrine is not more than two hours. And after one and a half hours, after one an hour and 45 minutes, uh, it's still, of course, 100% edible, but it's not yet meeting our internal qualities, you know, kind of qualifications, what, what we set for the product. So then we put those products into rescue and 62% uh, of those products are sold, uh, which in very high likelihoods would otherwise be a, a waste. Mm -hmm. Is it really that uh, like in half an hour or something you can find uh, uh, like a customer through that rescue club app? Amazingly, yes. It, and I think that there's there's already certain loyal customers for us as well who are kind of looking through the rescue <laughs> and is there any jungle juice bar smoothies and, and then they spot those. And, and I think that it's again this kind of a... Uh, one good thing what we can do together with customers that we, we lower the price they are there in the platform seeking the products and and then we together reduce the food waste mm. yeah the two hour like uh, life cycle seems a bit uh, short to me uh, is it really like you know has to be two hours or could it be extended or then the you know the risk for the quality is much higher well, of course, kind of if, if you consider as we prepare smoothies from fresh vitamins, uh, the kind of the oxidation process, of course, starts oh, yeah. immediately. And, and of course, then the kind of the level of vitamins starts to decrease. Uh, in the recipes, we also use ice. And, and for us, uh, the kind of the structure of the smoothie yeah. is a very important thing. And it needs to be this kind of 
high quality premium thick uh, structure for the smoothies and then of course the ice start, starts to, to melt which makes the structure of the smoothie much much more loose it is still I mean 100% good but for us it's not good enough uh, but thanks thanks to rescue we're still able to rescue those products <laughs> as well yeah amazing partnership definitely in what year was it that you measured uh, the carbon emissions with that the, in the cooperation with natural resource institute is it uh, something that you need to do regularly or is it uh, more like you uh, calculated it once and then you know you can take the same uh, like figures as a basis for the next i don't know five or how many years how do, uh, how does it look like uh, we started the project uh, early 2019 uh, initially and uh, then we got the final reports in early 2020 uh, if i'm not completely kind of co- completely wrong i think that the final report came around march or april 2020 uh, we do need to update uh, the calculation, especially if we do some ma- major changes. Uh, for example, if we would replace the PLA plastics uh, to be having this very precise calculation, we would need to update it. But as the, the kind of the raw material mix is pretty much the same, uh, once a year we kind of think that should it be validated. So far we haven't validated it, uh, but maybe in the future it is required if we want to kind of stay on this very precise level of calculation. And what suggestions do you have for other companies that want to start measuring their emissions? Uh, What would be the first steps? Well, first of all, I do recommend this for all companies. I personally believe that this starts to become a kind of license to operate Uh, more and more consumers uh, kind of are aware of this and I think that also in kind of the business to business side this starts to be a requirement Uh, companies who kind of jump into the project or decide to start the project uh, should reserve enough resources in-house as well this is not something that you can 100% outsource you need to be able to have resources doing the homework internally. And that was one, probably one of the reasons as we are quite small team, the resources were very tight and that probably kind of prolonged the lead time to finalize the pro- project. How expensive uh, is it to measure everything? I don't expect you to say like concrete numbers, but just uh, like uh, is uh, like financial aspects could be like a, burden for some companies to do this kind of emission calculation could be it's not it's not kind of a small number so it is an investment uh, there are available these certain kind of calculators i think that at least i personally see more and more these platforms providing certain co2 emission calculations uh, and that price is much, much lower. I think that you can kind of do your CO2 emission calculations with few thousand euros by using these type of platforms. For us, the preciseness wasn't just enough. We wanted to have precise enough calculation and we wanted to do it with the partner who has certain uh, credibility 
an authority in this matter as well. And I think that the Finnish uh, Natural Resource Institute is definitely that type of a partner. Uh, but it definitely it was an investment also for us as a company. It's not uh, cheap. It's more than uh, you know a few thousand euros for sure. Uh, but for us, that was really kind of a no-brainer. Uh, we already were considering that our carbon footprint for smoothies must be quite small because it is a vegan plant-based product. Uh, however, to be able to compensate and to be able to state that you really need to have proof of evidence on that one. So that was that, that was the main reason. And, and of course, then kind of compensate, being able to compensate the carbon footprint. You need to know how much you need to compensate. If you think back of the experience, like all the period, then uh, if you would need to break it up into some certain steps, like what did you have to do? in uh, like different phases then uh, what would be the main uh, steps i think that it was the data collection uh so kind of first of all kind of providing the the, the basic data uh, for the finnish natural resource institute and then kind of collecting all the missing data what they then came back what they needed but i think that i mean the whole process was about data collection okay <laughs> collecting raw material quantities what, what's been the kind of the Uh, annual usage of bananas or mangoes and and what's been the electricity consumption what's been the water consumption consumption what's the amount of different waste uh how much cardboard plastics uh, you know it's this data collection mm. one big chunk <laughs> yeah as i already said in the introduction that you have a very different approach to carbon compensation. Uh, so the regular practice is that companies compensate for their carbon emissions to reach net zero. But you, however, are double compensating for all emissions for all smoothies sold in uh, 2021. Uh, why, why, why is that? <laughs> well, as said, I think that becoming a carbon neutral will be a standard very soon for for companies uh, and we wanted to do more we believe that being only carbon neutral doesn't make enough big step change into this kind of environmental crisis which we are living at the moment uh, if we only now would become carbon neutral that just means that we would stop the CO2 emissions, uh, but we actually need to remove the CO2 emissions. There's already way too much uh, CO2 emissions up in the air, and we need to do actions to actually remove that. So being just carbon neutral is not enough. That's why we want to double compensate it. And I don't know, hey, let's put it like this. We always say that our smoothie is kind of a guilt-free pleasure. Uh, it is very good tasting. Sometimes you kind of forget that it is actually very healthy for yourself. Uh, let's think that this, let's say that this carbon uh, compensation is also a kind of a, a guilt-free choice. We're compensating not only your smoothie, but also your morning coffee. Because we're double compensating. Yeah, <laughs> very interesting way to think about it. And uh, also coming back to your uh, definition of sustainability, it's like the 
it's that uh, extra step that you already take uh, off like the first carbon compensation is already extra step and then the double compensating is like second extra step exactly exactly and and and, and still you know small things do matter uh it, it is a one smoothie you made the decision that instead of a hamburger you go mm -hmm. for a smoothie which is a healthier choice not only for you but also for the planet yeah and how or what uh, partners do you use in uh, the carbon compensation what projects do you support yes we are we are at the moment we're collaborating with the company called south pole uh, which is the company uh, which compensates then through our kind of CO2 emissions. We are part of two different uh, projects. One is called Caribia Red and the other one is called Agrocortex. Uh, both of these projects uh, are all about kind of a biodiversity. So it's all about kind of saving the jungle. And we believe that as we're getting most of our raw materials from the jungle, we actually need to provide something back to the jungle. So that's why we've selected these two projects. Very good. And do you plan to keep doing this double compensation also in the coming years? Or was it only like this 2021 project? No, absolutely. We are 100% committed to continue the double compensation and at the same time taking the actions which would help us to diminish the carbon footprint of our products. Very good to hear. <laughs> and we slightly touched upon uh, the packaging uh, topic already, but uh, can you maybe tell again what are the main uh, packaging materials that you use and how, how big a role that plays in your sustainability initiatives? Yes, so, so the packaging for a smoothie it contains the cup and then the lid and the straw. The cup and lid today uh, are PLA plastic, uh, which is a kind of a biodegradable plastics. And the straws were currently in the process of changing the plastic PLA straws into the paper straw because of the EU legislation, which has kind of entered into force in, at the beginning of July. We still have the PLA straws in some bars, but already today some bars have moved to use these uh, kind of paper straws. Not all our customers are too fond of the paper straws, but of course we're also kind of uh, following the EU legislation on, on, on this one, trying to also find constantly alternatives to the paper straw, which doesn't make the experience of enjoying your smoothie it's not 100 it do get a bit moist and i think that there are very interesting alternatives already in the market one for example made from bamboo uh, mm. but i think that that still requires uh, a, a bit bit of development uh, to be able to kind of have a large quantities and the right size of a straws which our product requires we are looking into the, as, as mentioned earlier, it's this kind of a debate, PLA plastics versus 100% uh, recycled plastics. Uh, it looks to be uh, that 100% recy recycled plastic uh, might be kind of a, having a smaller CO2 emissions and carbon footprint 
because of its high reusability. So that is most likely where we are then kind of following, we're going forward and we're kind of very keen on, on following how does the, the kind of the packaging trade and, and new innovations evolve if there is anything which would, you know, make a difference on this one. Mm. And I guess uh, the reason why you don't use, you know, some like paper cups is also the experience aspect of uh, consuming the smoothie. Absolutely. Plus, still, in so many paper cups, you actually have the plastics yeah. in, in it. And of course, it would prevent the very bright and, and nice colors of our product. So somehow we are a bit stuck with this transparent packaging. But at the end, we need to make choices which are most sustainable ones because the sustainability really is a leading factor in our strategy and in our decision making. So if there is a material which would be kind of much, much more sustainable than, for example, 100% recycled plastic, then I think that we actually might go for that. Mm -hmm. And if uh, some client comes with their own, um, like a bottle or something, can they uh, use that one instead of a cup? Absolutely. And actually, prior to COVID, we actually even gave discount to those customers. Uh -huh. So we definitely want to kind of promote that type of a behavior. Now, during the COVID pandemic, it's been, you know, the hygiene has been so important, you know, with all the disinfectants and everything that, you know, touching to the customer's own cup and, you know, all that. So that we've been a bit preventing that. But let's hope that the pandemic is very soon over and we're definitely more than kind of welcoming customers to bring their own cups to us. Yeah, very good. And you said that uh, the emissions from uh, the plastic, recycled plastic, uh, like straws or like materials are lower than from the biodegradable ones. But uh, what about plastic waste in terms of if that should be end up somewhere in the nature then? What is the impact of the biodegradable one uh, as uh, contrary to the recycled plastic one? Because I have also heard that the biodegradable one is not perfect, that it still breaks down into like small plastic chunks. Uh, absolutely. Uh, both PLA as well as recycled plastics, both have these microplasts. And if they mm -hmm. end up in an ocean, they are definitely not a kind of a very uh, healthy for the ocean. So I think that there is an issue uh, and where we should put the focus is that people would actually recycle plastics properly. And we should increase the possibilities for plastic recycling and we should make that very easy for the consumers. We don't have any fact-based evidence. There actually isn't any CO2 calculations done between PLA and RPET, 100% recycled plastics. Uh, however, we also recognize the issues with the PLA plastic uh, biodegradable kind of processes. There, is, there isn't enough infrastructure around that. And that is one of the leading factors which are kind of, kind of turning us most likely to use the recycled plastics as the recycling possibilities are much better. So everybody, you need to recycle your <laughs> plastics. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
let's talk about uh, some other initiatives that you have. So we already covered the rescue club uh, that uh, has uh, reduced your food waste quite a bit. But I also read uh, something about uh, charity smoothies. So can you tell me what is this? Yes, absolutely. So from the very beginning, from 2010 onwards, sustainability and sharing and making good has been a kind of a core of the company strategy. Uh, we've been doing these charity smoothies already kind of early in 2010, uh, picking some kind of a charity target, uh, having maybe a celebrity coming and co-creating the smoothie, co-creating the name of the smoothie, and we've been donating one euro from each sold smoothie to for example, Hope RU, which is a uh, charity association doing good for kind of uh, families which have faced some kind of financial or other challenges. We've also kind of donated to the WWF. Uh, we're supporting children's sports hobbies to certain initiatives. So this is the whole idea of doing these charity campaigns. So it started already from the beginning and uh, has it continued like every year after that is it like all the time or is it like uh, some periods when you have some campaigns around it i think that it has not been systematic it's been going on already kind of several years uh now we haven't actually done a charity smoothie during the covid pandemic as we started mm. to double compensate the co2 emissions so it's not something that we do systematically but whenever there is a good idea we're always very open and willing willing uh, to do that. And what other initiatives do you have that I haven't asked about yet? Well, then it's of course the whole kind of a kind of social responsibility part. So kind of how there is a kind of a ambition at one day, hopefully, to be the best employer for the young people. We are employing a bit more than 400 uh, young uh, employees in Finland and, and our average age for our staff is around 20 years. For very, very many, we are the first workplace and that also brings a, a big responsibility. I believe that this has a kind of a so larger social kind of impact, how we can make the first kind of experience at work to be safe, and positive because that will impact how the young young people kind of start to feel about the work it's, itself and, and how they will kind of move forward in their careers so that is of course one big kind of area of our our sustainability journey not the easiest one the journey is definitely we're not there yet there's a lot of things which we need to improve but the whole induction period is just very sensitive, delicate period. And if we succeed extremely well, I personally believe that it actually has a, a very positive impact to our society overall. Since we started talking about the uh, uh, working environment, then uh, I know that there was some kind of... Uh, like a small scandal in 2018 uh, connected to... Uh, some uh, like employment relationship 
So can you tell a bit about that, that what happened and uh, what did you learn from that? Yes, of that, that was, of course, I don't have all the details because that was prior my time, but of course I'm familiar with, with the case. I think that that was very unfortunate overall and, and, and of course very unfortunate that, that it ended up becoming a scandal. A lot of learnings from our side, absolutely. I think that kind of documentation is, is one key and, and whenever there isn't kind of a very delicate sensitive topics i think that the communication is really a key in these in these areas we're doing these uh terminations kind of contract terminations there is the trial six months trial period and and the, the kind of the the scandal was related to this type this type of an action that uh, there was one uh, colleague whose contract was terminated in this trial period uh, we have very kind of few of these cases, uh, and and of course, as I always say, I think that the most important thing is that if unfortunately we need to enter to this type of a process, it should never actually be a surprise for that person. So we need to be responsible leaders. We need to be providing systematic feedback, so that if for some reason there is some issues in performance or whatever, that wouldn't come as a surprise. I always believe in second chances. I think that everybody needs a second chance and you need to have the possibility to to change your behavior or or make a difference in those cases where you've been providing provided corrective feedback. Of course, then if those changes doesn't happen and you've been provided that feedback, then of course, unfortunately in in some cases then you might end up on on kind of entering the the job contract on the trial period but i always say that it's like this engagement you don't jump immediately to marriage you, you need to have the engagement period <laughs> you need to kind of be sure or kind of dating someone you need to be sure whether this is the right partner for you and that goes vice versa it is absolutely not only the employee's right but it is equally the employer's right that you both have this six months engagement period and then you know I, is this the right company for me is this actually the job i really do want to want to want to have so i think that it, it, whenever we talk about these topics i think that so often we actually forget the in kind of the employee side on on this one as well so in that case the main problem was misunderstanding about uh, like working uh, like worker rights and the, the way to solve it is uh, through better communication and uh, yeah I, I i based on the knowledge what i have that case so again haven't been there uh, might not have all the details but i think that if the communication would have been more clear on time, maybe we actually would not have been in that situation. Yeah. Do you have uh, any other examples where you have identified some kind of uh, like maybe problem or something that you can improve in the working environment uh, like area and then you have like implemented some kind of changes? Absolutely. I think that uh, one of the kind of the latest ones, uh, which has been a good success, uh, is this kind of new weekend on-call 
which we started uh, after summer this year. Uh, we don't have shift leads in all shifts. We have managers, but of course the manager cannot be working in a bar kind of uh, around the clock and, and seven days a week, meaning that there is uh, days and there are shift, shifts where there is uh, Jewish masters working together and there is no one kind of leading in that shift. So, and that happens quite often actually during the weekend time. So what we've started is this on-call process where we have every weekend, we have one regional manager and one manager, you know, on call. And if there is any questions coming, anything, uh -huh. any issues, any problems, uh, our staff can either send a message uh, or call and we're helping them. And the, the response time really to those type of problems is it's less than a minute. So they can really reach no. us. And, and, and that has been providing this safe feeling to the workplace. I know that if there is an issue coming, I actually can reach someone during the weekend in the Saturday evening in less than 60 seconds. We also improved our kind of a break policy. So, so previously uh, it's been, and it is very common in the restaurant industry that especially if you are working alone in your shift, it is very difficult to have kind of the mandatory 30 minutes lunch break so that you actually could leave the bar and, and you know, eat properly and on time and no customers would bother you. And, and we work like that as well as the kind of the union agreement allows that. But that was another change which we made recently that we actually close our bars for 30 minutes, those bars where our staff works alone to be able to provide a proper break for our staff. Yes, we've received some customer feedback, customer <laughs> claims that your bar is closed, but I have, I'm, I mean, with my full heart, I'm very happy to answer to those customers that yes, because we actually want to provide the proper break for our staff. And if we don't have enough staff working in that bar, then it means that we will close our bar and our operations for their lunch break. Yeah, sounds amazing. I think it shows very well how to, how you value your uh, workers. And on the supplier side, so how do you choose your main uh, supplier partners? We have very uh, kind of mature and, and long relations with our existing supplier partners. We use wholesalers which are kind of specialized in restaurant industry. Uh, and, and of course, through those very long and mature relations, we're actually on quite details, knowing where the raw materials are coming from. And they are very well reacting into different harvest periods and, and so forth. So, so I think that that's just been, we've, historically we've selected the partners and we've been happy with the collaboration. And what are the um, like main countries uh, where your raw materials come from? So, <laughs> as you said uh, already, that uh, quite many raw materials come from the so-called like jungle. But uh, I'm sure that uh, some are also like closer and like from Finland itself. Yes. So majority of our berries comes from Finland. Uh, we use Finnish blueberries, uh, raspberries. 
our strawberries do come from Poland, uh, but it is this kind of an agreed provider where we really know that they are kind of how their kind of security processes are on, ongoing. Uh, and then a lot of raw materials comes actually from, from Netherlands uh, and then some, you know, from Asia, Africa, kind of this, this uh, Southern America, uh, Southern America as well. So as soon as we have ginger growing in Finland or bananas <laughs> going, growing in Finland, I'm very keen on, on kind of uh, purchasing local raw materials. Uh, a lot of greens definitely come from Finland, you know, carrots when, when there is a carrot, good carrot harvest in Finland and so forth. La- last uh, kind of local raw material was blackcurrant. Uh, that was the first time we actually in- kind of introduced blackcurrant in one of our smoothies and, and we used Finnish blackcurrant in that one. Well, uh, Iceland already grows bananas <laughs> because they, yeah, they have this geothermal energy that allows us to uh, grow bananas in the, like, I would say, uh, greenhouses. So, <laughs> And I'm really looking forward to that type of a development. Maybe you need to connect me. If you have a good connection to the <laughs> Icelandic banana farmers, you know, please connect me. I think I uh, read it from geography <laughs> textbook uh, several years ago. <laughs> yeah, but, but, yeah. but I, I think that that's very interesting. And of course, kind of the more locally produced raw materials we can use, uh, the, the easier it is also kind of from the su- supply chain perspective and, and probably from the, from the uh, kind of availability as well. Mm. Yeah. So we have uh, covered uh, quite several like more specific topics and at this point I would like us to take maybe like a step back to see this a bit bigger picture and uh, to ask that do you have uh, a more specific sustainability strategy that uh, you have created or do you plan to create one? We have created a sustainability strategy, but probably that is kind of quite straightforward and, and, and basic. Uh, we've chosen the kind of the, our staff to be the center of our sustainability strategy. Uh, our sustainability actions are selected with the way which we believe that are kind of that most valuable for our staff. Uh, so it, it is very much of this kind of internal approach. We've, of course, kind of mapped all the kind of uh, partners who kind of external partners who who we might need to kind of uh, be in contact regarding sustainability matters. But our staff is really at the center of that strategy. And, And what we believe is that, you know, if it is important for our staff, most likely it resonates very well to our customers as well. And then we have mapped certain steps what we want to kind of achieve. Uh, and from the kind of the environmental aspect, I think that the packaging is still one which we need to kind of even further develop and look alternative solutions. Uh, we do want to use more kind of local raw materials. So that is definitely something we want to take in, into consideration when designing the raw materials. Uh, and then we, as, as said at some point, that by the end of 2022, we strongly hope that we actually can state that we are 100% using reusable electricity. Uh, but that really requires also certain shopping centers, our landlords, uh, to kind of 
make that possible. Same goes for waste reduction. Uh, we are quite dependent on the recycling possibilities what are provided within the shopping centers as we live in that kind of an e economy. That, that is definitely one. And then maybe last but, but not least is, is this kind of a circular economy. Uh, we've already had a couple of quite fun projects where first few restaurants within the Helsinki region actually made some drinks from our bio waste. And we are now collaborating with a Finnish company called Olvi. It's a brewery company. And we're collaborating with them, launching uh, two brand new products, which are actually manufactured also using our uh, bio waste, which comes from us making smoothies like, you know, peeling pineapples and squeezing oranges and so forth. So that kind of waste is reused when making uh, some sparkling water, for example. Amazing how you can really uh, use most of the materials that uh, come in. Yeah, and, and maybe my big dream is that somehow all the bio waste which comes from us making the smoothies could be reused. Uh, we've had some kind of smaller projects could we make soap out of that or washing powder or whatever but i think that that would be uh the kind of the long-term target for us yeah. that i would want to see yeah definitely something to look for <laughs> do you plan to start reporting about your sustainability actions also in the near future uh, our private owner uh, is Finnish private equity company called Vaga Partners, and they have their own sustainability strategy and reporting requirements. And of course, we are kind of compliant with those ones. So we are doing internal uh, ESG reporting once a year. We haven't published that so far. Uh, and I think that as we are doing kind of direct to consumers, maybe our consumers can read best about our sustainability actions through our web pages rather than having this kind of official ESG reporting yeah. in, in place. So I think that we, we, we continue communicating our sustainability actions through our websites. Uh, and then I think that we should use also our bar uh, as a communication platform. So some changes coming there as well, improving our kind of communication through our bars. Yeah, probably not many smoothie customers want to read uh, like uh, several tens of pages of a ESG report before deciding to buy that smoothie. <laughs> yeah, I think that the web page and, and the, we currently also have a loyal, loyal application, kind of loyal customer application. So maybe those are the best platforms uh, and the ESG reporting is probably more important for B2B companies, yeah. for example. Uh, have you identified any specific United Nations Sustainable Development Goals that are most relevant to your business? Yeah, I think that the, the kind of the waste uh, is, is definitely one. We will continue taking con very concrete actions to reduce the food waste. Goes both for the ready-made smoothies, where the rescue platform has already shown to be very effective and, and, and kind of successful for that. But also, as said, the kind of the bio waste, which is generated for making smoothies, 
So that is definitely a goal that how we can kind of cut that amount because that has a big impact on the CO2 emissions as, as well. Uh, and then I think that it's the it's the packaging uh, where we want to still reduce the CO2 emissions and the carbon footprint of that one. Uh, and then I think that in especially after the COVID pandemic, our main focus will be on the social uh, responsibility side, how we can improve even further our working conditions in our bars, how we can become the the best employer for the young people in Finland. So most likely majority of our focus will go there, improving induction process even further and so on. So right now we are recording this episode in December 2021. Uh, what will you focus on improving next year, so 2022? 2022, uh, I think that that is a year of changing something in the packaging. So hopefully early next year we can communicate that what ha- has what what is the kind of the latest development for our smoothie uh, cup and, and lid we need to continue uh, focusing on the welfare of our staff the, the kind of the pandemic has treated us quite hardly and we definitely see an increased number of kind of uh, mental issues for our staff so we really need to be there listen to our staff and provide uh, certain healthcare services for them as well uh, and then as said we continue having the discussions with with those landlords which not yet today provide 100% reusable electricity so the target is to be able to state that we use 100% reu- reused uh, reusable electricity by the end of 2022 very good goals and what do you think are the three most important lessons from jungle juice bar that other companies could learn from to become more sustainable small things matters i think that i'll start from from that uh you know it it starts from really you know communicating that throughout your organization uh it, it starts from making something concrete uh, it starts from trying to communicate that to your customers uh, i think that if you think that you want to become carbon neutral in some businesses that actually might be a a very long journey try to kind of slice and dice it into these sub goals or milestones and and you know try to kind of take a smaller step because it might be quite massive journey uh, if you if you try to kind of reach everything and you need certain concrete milestones where you can maybe then celebrate that actually we've reached this one and this is actually very concrete and then remember to communicate that out as well amazing I, i don't know if i mean probably not three most important lessons but I think the small things matter there are the three <laughs> things <laughs> yeah a very good way to put it yeah what do you think uh, are the biggest changes happening in the retail food industry over the next decade I would start with the home deliveries I think that the pandemic has already kind of accelerated the digitalization of our industry very very rapidly Uh, and, and home deliveries have increased massively. I think that that is one thing which definitely will change. 
people will you know move differently and and are even more impatient on queuing and waiting and you know it's this i want it now i you know people are becoming more and more impatient and of course that is something that we also need to take into consideration as we are part of the fast food industry uh, and are considered to be fast food so how can we make the the kind of the visits or ordering even more convenient so i think that convenience will increase and and the kind of the home delivery is, is definitely part of that then also the kind of the sustainability angle i think that more and more we see these kind of uh, zero carbon footprint or vegan is 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 definitely kind of well rising trend it's already kind of major mega trend existing in 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 the industry so i think that we will see more and more vegan uh and and carbon neutral options also within the restaurant industry and you mentioned this uh term fast food that uh, at least for me and i think for many people have this negative or unhealthy connotation but i think this shows that fast food <laughs> doesn't have to be unhealthy absolutely 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 not no so i think that what we stand for healthy fast food and guilt guilt free fast food so quite often you do feel this guilty when you've eaten you know you know that it's not healthy and yet you want to have it but you know we offer a guilt-free option for fast food and and we do provide solutions for for the convenience as well you know for this very busy life you're kind of very hectic ongoing it's very easy to grab and go a healthy smoothie along the way uh during your your busy work day yeah Ellie, thank you so much for sharing yours and jungle juice bars. Very valuable experience in this area. And if people want to contact you uh, on some of the topics uh, that we talked about today, then how can they do it? Well, I'm always available either over the phone or you can send me email and LinkedIn is also a very good channel. Uh, so that there I'm also kind of present on a daily basis. Maybe you can uh, tell uh, the email address, for example. Absolutely. So my email address is extremely straightforward and simple. So it is Ellie at junglejuicebar.com. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you also. It's been a pleasure. Good chat. Thank you for listening. I hope you learned something new about sustainability that you could implement in your organization. If you have any feedback or if you want to recommend somebody for an interview, then leave me a message through our website nordicsustainabilityinvestigator.com. Also, you can subscribe to a mailing list so you never miss a new episode.